face. Son, don't you ever tell your daddy? This is an urgent, urgent conversation. I just need to talk to you because I love you. Uh, give me a call. We're on the road. Uh, check. Chats. Man, I really was just looking for an excuse to meet cool people and have fun conversations. That was kind of it. What's up, everyone? Obviously, this one's going to be a little different because I'm living that quarantine life and I'm at my house by myself. And I was just thinking, um, I had an interesting conversation with my neighbor the other day. And we were talking about things that happen in your life that really impact who you are as a person and really, really, really inform the things that you believe. Uh, So I started really thinking about like, what is the most impactful thing that has ever happened that really, really, really changed my life? And um, it's a story that's so insane that if you told it to me, I don't know if I would believe you. Not because I would think that you were a liar but because it's so fantastic and so absurd that there's just no way that it really happened, except that it did. And it's one of those things that when I look back, I think to myself, that if that happened, and it did, then it changes everything. It changes the nature of, of life. And uh, so I'm going to tell you a really, really wild story that is true. Um, and if you don't believe me, I understand. I feel the same way. Uh, It's the story of my dad and all that kind of happened when I was 19 years old. Uh, I was 19. I just graduated high school, not at 19, at 18. Um, I graduated in 2003 and I moved out, moved in with some of my best friends and I lived about a mile and a half away from my parents. I remember the day my mom said that my dad was not feeling well. She said that he was under the weather. He had a fever. He wasn't feeling good. So rewind four days before that. Dad had been working in the yard, and he had been spreading pine straw. He came in that night, and he was laughing, and he told my mom that he found two ticks on him. And he thought it was funny, and he got rid of them, and it was no big deal. Mom thought it was disgusting. Dad thought it was funny. Um, Four days later, he's got a fever. Now, they didn't put two and two together until later. But dad gets sick. He's not feeling well, feeling under the weather. So I think, man, it's just you know, normal, not feeling well. But he ends up getting sent to the hospital because he was laying on the couch and he said something to the effect of, I think it was, I'm trying to reprogram this computer, but he was messing with a blanket and he, he was looked agitated. And so it, it was not good. It seemed like, wait a minute, you're not holding a computer, brother. That's a blanket. So we took him to the hospital and they started testing him. I want to say his fever was like 103 or 104 at the time. When you're 50 something years old, you should not have a fever of 104. It is, that's really high. And um, they were trying to get it down, but they could not get his fever down. Like they just, they just couldn't. We later learned that the reason that there were ticks in the yard is because there were a lot of deer passing through. One of our neighbors was feeding the deer. And so at night, the deer would walk through our yard, eat some of the shrubs that my parents were planting, and then pass on, like go on to their, you know, feeding grounds next door. Uh, But dad ends up in the hospital and they're trying to get his fever down. They can't get it down and they don't know why. 
So for seven days, he's just got a raging fever. And so they can't, they can't figure it out. They ask my mom all these questions, you know, Hey, have you been, have you been out of the country in the last 30 days? Like, no, like, no, we're just normal people doing normal things. And all of a sudden, you know, dad's really, really sick. He was so sick that I was trying to play cards with him in the hospital. And uh, I think we were playing, it was like go fish or war, one of these really simple games. And he could not remember how to play. Like he couldn't remember basic things like, is a jack greater than a 10? Is a, you know, queen higher than a jack? Things like that. Like he, he just couldn't get it. And I remember thinking, something's really wrong. Like something is, is, is wrong, wrong. And uh, so they start asking these questions, you know, have you guys been traveling? Have you been out of the country? Has he been bitten by any animals? I know. And then one doctor, he was a young dude, and he was like, has he been, has he been bitten by any insects or animals or things that you know of? And my mom was like, wait a minute. He did, three or four days before he got sick, he did get, he had two ticks on him. And he was like, okay. So they start running all these tests, right, to find out. It, what does he have? Rocky Mountain spotted fever, you know, Lyme's disease, which is the first one you think of. Turns out he did not have those. But what he did test positive for was ehrlichiosis. Now, most people are like, what in the world is that? It's a random disease that these, these ticks carry that are really prevalent in deer ticks, which is why I tell you the story about my neighbors feeding them, um, is because having deer in your yard increases the chance that you're going to come across two types of ticks and that's deer ticks and lone star and you can google those but those are two ticks that are are bad news bears they just have a higher probability of carrying these diseases i think the common tick uh, i did you can check the podcast out i did one uh, with a a a bug guy and uh, i want to say that common ticks it's like one in three thirty six hundred carries the potential for disease but like a Lone Star Ticks, like one in 300 or one in 50, it's something like way more prevalent. So that's an important part of the story because we had deer walking through the backyard. Um, so anyways, he gets this diagnosis, if you will, of ehrlichiosis, um, but he's, they're still not able to fix it. Like everything that they're giving him, every anti-whatever drug, they're not bringing the fever down. And he just keeps getting worse and worse to the point that now my dad was a pastor <laughs> He starts hallucinating and like wanting to take his clothes off and walk down the hallways, not in a sexual manner, just in a like wandering around manner. And when you're trying to tell him like, hey, 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 he's fighting you and he'll sleep for like two hours, three hours and then wake up just ready to go. So we were around the clock trying to have people with him to just to make sure that he was safe and in the hospital and you know, doing what he was supposed to be doing in the sense that we're trying to get him better and trying to not let him walk around. So we end up having to limit who could see him. Like everybody, he was a pastor. People want to go visit him. And it's like, you can't visit him because we don't know what's happening. And after it went on like a week, two weeks, he got to a point where uh, he started declining like quickly. And I remember seeing his urine bag and um, it was full and it was brown like really, really dark brown. And the doctor said that his kidneys and seemed like his vitals were starting to shut down. I thought, okay, how do we fix that? Like I was in a total, just how are we going to get, how are we going to fix it? It never dawned on me that he was dying. 
until the doctor said to my mom, he said, you may want to start thinking about getting the affairs in order, start making preparations. And I remember like my mom being like preparations for what? And he just kind of looked at her like he's dying. And it was the craziest thing. I was 19 years old. I graduated high school, something like six months before. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, your dad, he, he's dying. And like, even saying it now, I'm like, that's crazy. Even though my dad's already passed, I'm like, your dad can't die. Especially not at 19. Like you're just not ready. Like I'm a late bloomer to the T and, uh, at 19, I might as well have been 12. Uh, it's looking back. I, I, I just didn't have a spot for it in my brain. Right. it was like a, a piece of mail and there's a mail slot, but there's really not one for this. That's what it felt like. Like there's just nowhere for that information to land. Um, my mom was, she was just kind of spiraling obviously. And, um, at that time, I worked at Blockbuster Video, right? If you remember Blockbuster, it was lit on Fridays and Saturdays. I worked 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. And I remember going into work and just thinking, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like fixing all the videos and stuff. I don't know what to do. So here's what I did. And here's where the story gets kind of weird. I decide I've never fasted before, but my dad was a pastor, so I kind of knew what it was. And... I, I can say fast, but it was probably more of like a hunger strike, I think, because I was really mad. I was frustrated with, with God or the concept of God. Like I knew, I grew up in a Christian family and like I knew God, but I never really had a, a crisis of faith, I guess, where I was like, hey, look, this is not right. Something's wrong. And I need you to talk like I need you to say something or do something. Like, if you're going to be God, you're going to have to do God stuff. And um, so I didn't know what to do, but I was devastated. So I, I just decided I'm, I'm going on a hunger strike. Right? That's it. I'm not eating until you freaking say something. Um, I didn't know what to do, so I just stopped eating and only drank water. And my dad, he, he was a pastor, so I, I got the keys to the church, and I would just get off work at, oh, I was going to school full-time as well. So I had full-time hours and um, full-time school and part-time job. And I made $210 every two weeks, just enough to keep the power on. Um, so I would lock myself in when I got off of work. So I'd work 6 to midnight, and then I'd get to the church right around eh, 1230. And I'd lock myself in, and I would pray through the night until morning came and when the sun came up I knew it was time to go to school and so like I would set my little alarm um I think it was on my watch then that was that was pre like good cell phones but uh anyways I lock myself in the first night all right I go after work I haven't eaten I go I lock myself in I didn't really know what to do I just knew that I was frustrated and so I just sat down on on the stairs like on the uh in the altar area i guess is what you would call it if you live grew up in like pentecostal world um i just sat down on the stairs and i i didn't know what to say but i finally was just mad and i just started yelling right and i looked up at the ceiling and i was like is this what you do is this how you reward people who give their life to you like he gave you everything and like it was it was like a movie but it was it was legit 
emotions, right? Like it was like a water balloon, just ah, here's how I feel. And um, I didn't, I would say pray, but I don't know that, I don't know that praying would give you the correct sense of what was happening. Like I was, I was screaming at the, at the, at the heavens, right? That's all I was really capable of at the time. Um, but I just began to yell and, and ask God, like, what are you doing? Where are you? Are you even real? And I think what I was actually asking is all the stories I've heard growing up and all these things about who you are and all these, uh, legacies of faith that I was apparently born into, you know, like, oh, your grandfather was a pastor and his grandfather was a pastor and things like that. I'm like, who are you, God? Like, who, who are you? Is this what you do? And the first night, I don't, I don't know if I really got past the question of like, what in, what in the world is happening right now? And, um, I screamed a lot until I couldn't scream. And then I would doze off and I would wake back up because I would be sleeping, like laying on the floor and, uh, I'd wake up and keep, you know, no, you're, are you still here? Kind of thing. And, uh, the sun came up, went, went to uh, class up at Gordon college and then, um, would, would get done with that and then go back into work at six, get off at midnight, be back at the church. So night one was just me screaming, yelling, crying, trying to process this information. Night two comes along and I'm a little bit more prepped. Um, I start talking to God and I'm just like, you know, I don't understand this. And I, it was like something inside of me just broke. Right. Um, I remember I, I sat down on the piano there was a beautiful Yamaha baby grand and uh, I sat down on it. I didn't know how to play that well. And I just played an A minor chord and it was, it was silent in the church, but then I just, I just hit this A minor simple chord and it was so weird to me. And this is where the story gets absurd. So if you don't believe me, I understand. If you're a non-believer, I understand. Um, I hit this A minor chord and all of a sudden it just felt like, mm, it just felt like I got nervous like it felt like somebody was sitting. Oh, also it's dark in the church. I didn't turn any lights on. It felt like somebody was sitting on the other side of the piano looking at me, right? I'm like, it was scary. But I knew, I knew in my heart and in my spirit that it was, that it was God. And I had screamed so loud and so obnoxiously and so absurdly and so hurtfully and all those things on night one. And then all of a sudden on night two, it was like he sat down and he was at the other end of the piano. And I swear to you, you would think that I would be like, good, you're here. You know, it's like that, those parts in the movie where people are trying to like, they finally get to the point where they could say what they want to say, but they don't say it. That was me. Like that happened. Like I was so caught off guard by the experience of it. And, um, I just knew that he was on the other end. And all I said was this. If you're going to kill my dad, are you going to be my dad? And it sounds, it sounds noble. It sounds weird. And like, as I say it today, I'm like, huh. But I remember at the time thinking, okay, you, the experience of whatever was on the other side of that piano, 
was so intense and so strong that it humbled me to the point of, okay, like if, if, if Jerry Bell has to go, are you going to stay? Are you going to fill, are you going to fill that role? And I remember the sweetest voice in my heart say yes. And from that moment, everything kind of changed uh, as far as my, my prayer went. Um, I was still devastated. I wasn't, you know, it didn't take the pain away, but it kind of changed the way that I prayed. And night two, I just, I spent time with God and it was really weird. Maybe it was a lack of sleep. Maybe it was a lack of food. Maybe I was delusional. Man, it was, it was crazy. It felt like God was actually in that room. And I don't mean like in the ethereal, like God is everywhere sense. I mean, it was overwhelming to me. And um, even as I say those words, it, it doesn't carry the weight of what it felt like. Um, which is why I said in the beginning, this story is weird and it's just starting to get weird. It's only going to get weirder. So night three comes along and I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that I, I, I set my mind when I started not eating, I started my hunger strike. I was like, I'm going to do three days. That seems, that seems fair. Uh, seeing as I've never done it before, but you're going to have to talk to me. So on night three, I get there and I felt like the Lord told me like, if you want your dad to live, you have to pray. And I just began to pray for him and just beg God to save him and for God to be God and, um, you know, for the jaws of death to be closed, like everything I'd ever heard. I was like, oh, this scripture, that scripture. I heard my grandfather say this one time, you know, like I'm calling those things that aren't as though they are. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing things. But I was just hoping and praying and believing like, okay, God, do something, be God. And at that point, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew, I knew in my heart that God existed, but in my mind, I was still like, maybe this is all delusions, you know, like maybe this is, maybe I need to eat. And, um, but I just kept going because my dad was dying. And so I was either going to starve myself until he died or God was going to have to be God. And, uh, so night three, I was just praying, you know, like, and this was a Saturday night I was locked in. And so I was helping my parents you know, lead worship at the church, or I think I was, I think I was leading worship at the time. Yeah, I was. So I remember I was praying and crying and yelling and snotting and doing all that stuff. And, um, not in a religious way. Like I, (laughs) I can't stress this enough. Like I'm not religious and in the sense that like pomp and circumstance for pomp and circumstance sake. Um, this was like devastated, God, you just, I hope you're real kind of thing, right? Like there's no atheists in a foxhole type situation. Like that was me. This was my little foxhole and I was in it just hoping that God was there too. Um, so I was there praying and I finally fall asleep and this, this sweet man who got to the church early on a Sunday, he got there and I was asleep on the floor. Um, and he, he touched me and he's like, Matt, (laughs) I woke up and I was like, Hey, and so I ran home, took a shower, and came back. And I think I led worship that morning. Um, I barely remember, but I'm pretty sure I did. But we had a guest speaker because Dad was in the hospital, and so everybody prayed for Dad and all that. And then the guest speaker came up, and he said, Hey, this is where the story, if you're going to check out, this is where it's going to happen because it gets so weird. Uh, he comes up, and he says, Hey, I want you to go pray for your dad. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out some oil. Now, if you're not hip to that game, uh, the Bible says that they anointed uh, 
their heads with oil when they prayed for them, lay hands on them and anoint their heads with oil and they will be healed, right? I was never done that before, but I was like, sure, I'm, I'm down. So I knew I was going to go pray for my dad and I was going to break my fast that afternoon. And um, so he like reaches in and he hands me this little thing of oil, which I think is so, so wild. And uh, he hands me the oil. I take it and uh, I put it in my pocket and I think to myself, I am going to go eat, and then I'm going to go pray for my dad. Like, I don't even say it, but at this point, I'm so tired, and I'm so weak from not eating that I'm not even sure what I'm thinking versus what I'm saying, but I know I didn't say that. I just thought, man, I'm going to go eat, and then I'm going to go pray for my dad, and the guest speaker literally says this. He says, no. It's like he disagreed with my thought. He says, no, don't do anything before you go pray for your dad. Go pray for him first. And I was so trippy and loopy that I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, I go, okay, okay, I got you. And I just nodded like, uh-huh, yeah, of course. Of course you're talking to my thoughts. Why wouldn't you? I was, that's where I was. And so I get in my little Honda Civic, my little low rider, and I start driving to the hospital. I don't know anything about ICU, and that's where dad was. He had gone into a coma, and he had been in a coma for three days, and when I got to the hospital, I had no idea where the ICU was or how that worked or that there were visitation hours. So I get there, park my little car, I walk in, I say, hey, I was like, I'm so sorry, where is ICU? She says, it's right down that hallway to the elevator, go up to the second floor, it's right there. I say, thank you so much. As I'm walking, I pass a chapel and it says, do you need to pray? And I'm like, should I pray? But I felt like God stopped me. No, Go. And it was so weird because it was so strong. And I'm telling you, I get it. It's weird. It's just about to get weirder. I get to the elevator and uh, I promise you, I'm walking towards the elevator and I'm just like, God, just be with me. Be strong in me. And as I'm approaching the elevator, bing, it opens up. I promise no one walks out the little light. No one had pressed the button. There was nobody standing there. It just bing opened up. As I'm walking towards it, I don't even break stride and I go into the elevator, right? (coughs) I'm in the elevator. I press the second floor. It goes up. Doors open up. I see it. There's the ICU, but it's closed. I didn't know ICU closed. ICU is closed. The visitation hours are not for another two and a half hours. I'm like, there's no way. There's no, I I can't get in. So I look at the doors and I I just say to the doors, I was like, God, if you brought me this far, you're going to have to open those doors. I understand if you don't believe me. I promise. It was one of those swipey badge doors. They just open. And I kind of freak out, right? Like I kind of panic a little bit. And I look down the hallway. There's nobody coming out. Like I, they just opened. But I'm so delusional that I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I just no, go through the door. So I just walk through the doors. I'm like, oop. I think, yeah, they're going to arrest me for sure. Like, I'm going to get stopped or like security's going to pop out. i be like, sir, you cannot be here. As I'm walking down the hallway, there's another set of doors, another swipey badge thing. And I just look at the ceiling and I say, all right, same thing. That's all I say. All right, same thing. <laughs> you could tell I was tired. No ornate prayers. Just, all right, same thing. The doors open. At this point, I start thinking, it feels like a movie, right? It is the weirdest feeling. I've never felt it before or since. I felt like I was walking through something like the set was already prepared and I was walking in and I was just kind of following the script, right? 
it was it was ridiculous, ridiculously unbelievable. And I the doors open and I I think rationally, okay, I'm probably I'm probably gonna really get asked to leave now. <laughs> like, how did you get here? And like, what am I gonna say to him? Like, oh, the Lord brought me here. Like, what am I gonna say when the security is like, how did you get through those doors? And, you know, um, and I was gonna tell him that was my thought. Like, I was just gonna tell him like, they just opened. Uh, but a lady walks up and she says, "Hey, are you here to see Mr. Bell?" And I just nod, like, "Uh huh." It caught me so off guard. Like this lady just behind the second doors that opened is this lady waiting for me that just says, hey, are you here to see Mr. Bell? My, uh, mm-hmm. I just nod my head. So she leads me over to him. And I haven't seen him in three or four days. I haven't seen him since before he went to the coma. He lost so much weight in the hospital because he wasn't eating. He said everything tastes like motor oil. It was, <clears throat> it wasn't good. So she leads me over to him and she's like, goes, like opens the curtain and we step in and he's got tubes everywhere, wires on his chest and all that stuff. And I had not seen him in that condition. He had food all in his teeth. He looked terrible. He had lost, I think 20 pounds. And, uh, she starts, she's like, Mr. Bell, Mr. Bell. And she starts shaking him. Mr. Bell, wake up. Your son is here. And like, she is shaking him pretty good. Like, I just remember his head kind of bouncing on the, on the ICU bed. And she looks at me and she says, I'm so sorry. We haven't been able to wake him up for three days. And I said, I was like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So she's like, all right, I'll leave you be. And so she shuts the door or she pulls the curtain thing shut. I had not seen him like that. And it caught me off guard. I would love to say that I walked in and was like, I am full of faith. But I, <laughs> I wasn't. I was like, you look terrible. And I just started crying because he looked so bad. He looked like he was dying and I wasn't I wasn't ready to see it so I started crying and um, I thought of that scripture where Jesus cried over Lazarus even though he knew he was going to raise him and I thought well you can still do something I didn't know what was going to happen but I felt like after all the crazy shenanigans that had just happened the doors opening up I was like all right so I would love to say that I prayed some amazing prayer that was super great, but this is all I said. I took the little bottle of oil out and I put like a little drop on my finger and uh, not a whole lot. I didn't want to spill it. I didn't know if that was a sin or not. I just put a little drop boop, right there on my finger and I said, with the thousands of people who have been praying for you and all of their prayers combined and all of their faith combined, be healed in Jesus' name. And I touched his forehead ever so slightly with the finger that had the oil on it. I just, doop, I mean, barely touched it. And that man acted like he had been paddled with electricity. I know. I wouldn't believe it either. I would. I get it. But he literally went just like this and sat up. And he started ripping all of the all the uh, the wires off of his chest, right? He's like, pa 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 pa, and it's like beep. It sounds like he flatlined, and like all like you hear like just pandemonium from the nurses station, right? They think like he's dead, and so they come running in, and my dad's sitting up. Now keep in mind, he did not remember my mom, he did not remember me, he did not remember how to count all of these things when he went into the coma. He was shutting down. He wakes up. He looks over at me and he says, hey, Matt, how long have you been here? I, he scared the crap out of me. When he 
did all that. It scared me to death. I would love to say I was expecting it. I felt like it might happen, but I, I wasn't expecting. It's, it caught me off guard, okay? It caught me off guard. I was just standing there, and he's like, hey, Matt, how long have you been here? I was like, not long. And this is how I knew that his brain was working. Dad would always say, where's your mom? He said, how long have you been here? Where's your mom? And I had one of these little tiny Ericsson phones. I snuck over to the corner and I boop, 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 dialed my mom. And she's like, hey, Matt. And I was like, dad's back. She goes, what do you mean? And I said, he woke up, he's back, and he's asking about you. She just hung up the phone. She was on her way. And uh, that day, he left ICU. Four days later, he went, he went to a, he was out of ICU that day and went to a regular bed. And he was out of the hospital within a week. Um, I don't know how to explain that, right? There is no explanation. I lived it. And if somebody told me like, oh, these elevator doors just opened. Oh, the ICU doors opened. Oh, the second one's opened. Oh, there was a lady waiting for me. Oh, I walked in and he was in a coma. Like he was, he looked terrible and they couldn't wake him for three, three and a half days. His kidneys were shutting down. Uh, he, he wasn't, his respiration was, there was, his levels were squirrely. I don't know all the technical terms, but he was dying. And then I put oil on this dude's forehead and was like, in Jesus name, boop. And he wakes up and he's back. When I was thinking about things that inform who I am as a person, that's the thing, right? Like dad went on to recover for six months and then um, had some neurological damage, which turned into a Parkinson's-ism. So he didn't have classic Parkinson's, but he uh, had a Parkinson's-ism and, and he had some really good days and he had some really hard days and he struggled and he suffered. And I, you know, there were times where I wondered if I'd, if I had punished him by bringing, I say bringing him back, but by praying for him and by begging the Lord to heal him and things. But what a blessing. Like the voicemail that I started with was a voicemail that he left me three years before he passed, two years before he passed. Um, things that you you get to hear. You know, I got to be, I got to do my 20s with my dad. I got to be, you know, I got to do half of my 30s with my dad. And that that's the thing. And there's a scripture that always comes to me and it's from the old Testament. I think it was Elijah, but when he does all these miracles and all these, or God does all these miracles through him, he says that they may know that there is a God in Israel. And those words have always been something that sticks to me. And I, I'm, I'm, probably not the not going to win any awards for being the quote unquote best Christian, which I don't even know what that means. But um, I think, you know, when we look back, the question that, that I ask myself, and I guess that I ask you and share with you is when you look back at your life, do you have moments that inform your belief system beyond your own comprehension? Do you have experiences where you can say, this informed my belief system beyond even maybe what I know? Because I was having the conversation with, like like I said, my neighbor with our six-foot distance, our quarantine-safe social distancing. 
And we were just talking about life and what he believes and what I believe. And I just, I asked him, like, do you, do you have a moment in your life where you look back and you say, that's where I began to believe this. Maybe it's a lie. Maybe it's the truth. But it's interesting if we think about it, we can kind of go back to moments where we began to either believe or believe things that are not. And um, I wanted to tell this story just because it's so absurd and so weird. But it's one of those things that I, I think back, had I not gone on my hunger strike, what would have happened? Had I not screamed at the heavens? Had I not said, okay, you're either going to be God or you're not. And I don't want to be preachy because that's, that's not my thing. But when I think about it, I saw those things happen. Like I was there in that room when that dude woke up for no reason except some oil and some words. <laughs> it's like, what if, what if there's a God, right? Like what if it's real? And like, what if he actually does care about our lives? What if he actually is in the room with us and stuff like that? It's so weird to think about, but what if it's true?